Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has jokes on how the Biden transition is going. Like it or not, we're getting a second season of Emily in Paris. And in times of trouble, Americans want to watch competitive chess? Why the Queen's Gambit is the hottest thing on Netflix right now. The date, November 11th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hello, friends. I'm Zach Stafford. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. No, Casey, bonjour. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> That's all my French. That's all my French. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. We will be talking lots of French and Emily in Paris later on in the show because it has to be done. Oh, it has to be. But also, today is 11 11. Uh, are you going to make a wish today, Zach? <laughs> I hate that you asked me that. I really do. I was so confused. All these Instagram influencers I saw were posting about 11 11 this morning. And I was like, oh, I forgot. That's a thing that we all do. And we're like, wish upon a star. So I. You know what? No, I'm, I'm completely ignoring 11-11. Do you know what I care about? <laughs> this Friday's Friday the 13th. <laughs> that's right. Oh my God, that is so right. And that like crazy horror movies coming out on Friday, right? The one that's like oh Freaky Friday, but it's like a new version. Have you heard about this? No, I'm a horrible horror movie watcher okay. though. So. Well, we won't dive into that. I will talk about that <laughs> later offline, but... <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into some of today's top stories before we get to the real, you know, dessert here, Emily, in Paris. All right. Hurricane Etta is expected to make landfall today on Florida's western coast and was upgraded overnight from a tropical storm as winds started to pick up. The storm is expected to bring winds of over 75 miles per hour and heavy rain. Tropical storm warnings were issued last night and the National Hurricane Center in Miami issued a hurricane watch for St. Petersburg and Tampa today. So if you're in Florida, please stay safe. Meanwhile, the transition between Joe Biden and Donald Trump is still being stalled by Republicans. And Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's got jokes on jokes about it. There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. All right. We're ready. The world is watching what's taking place here. We're going to count all the votes. When the process is complete, there'll be electors selected. There's a process. The Constitution lays it out pretty clearly. The world should have every confidence that the transition necessary to make sure that the State Department is functional today, successful today, and successful with the president who's in office on January 20th, a minute afternoon, will also be successful. So that doesn't sound great. After Pompeo's comments about a second Trump term, Biden had this to say in response. Sir, what do you say to the Americans that are anxious over the fact that President Trump has yet to concede and what that might mean for the country? Well, um, I just think it's an embarrassment, um, quite frankly. Uh, The only thing that, uh, how can I say this uh, tactfully? I, I think it will not help the president's legacy. And finally, Mark Esper wasn't the only casualty at the Pentagon, as President Trump has gone on a firing spree, and um, it doesn't look good. The Pentagon, very concerned. These were all key people at the Pentagon. Their names are not familiar to most. But among those now out, the head of policy, the head of intelligence and security, and the chief of staff. And the men replacing them, controversial to say the least, including retired Brigadier General Anthony Tata, whose nomination this summer for the Pentagon policy job was withdrawn because of Islamophobic tweets and once calling President Obama a terrorist leader. Tata will now fill that policy position. 
These new hires have leaned into deep state conspiracy theories, and it's unclear what kind of policies they'll execute during Trump's lame duck session. But it could be part of a worrying trend. When it came to the firings, House Armed Services Chair Adam Smith said, quote, If this is the beginning of a trend, the president either firing or forcing out national security professionals in order to replace them with people perceived as more loyal to him, then the next 70 days will be precarious at best and downright dangerous at worst. Oof. Zach, can you, like, walk me through these firings? Like, what is the point of them if he's just going to be here for 70 more days? Is it a petty thing? Is he actually trying to do something? Is he hopeful that these firings will do? I I just don't get it. I mean, I don't think there's much to get. We can only speculate a lot of what's happening. But what people fear is that Trump is trying to build up his own, you know, group of supporters that can be there right after the transition happens so that Joe Biden does have to kind of untangle Trump people who will be powerful in his administration and cause potential problems for him. So, you know, we're going to be watching out for this, but this is not uh, the best sign for the next 70 days. Great. (laughs) Well, Casey, let's go into something lighter and talk about pop culture and entertainment today. So Hugh Grant, I guess this isn't lighter, uh, had COVID (laughs) back in February. He made the revelation on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and in classic Hugh Grant fashion, gave a very colorful description of his symptoms. It started as just a very strange syndrome where I kept uh, breaking into a terrible sweat. It was like a poncho of sweat. Embarrassing, really. And then uh, my eyeballs felt about three sizes too big. And this, uh, a feeling as though some enormous man was sitting on my chest. Yes. Sort of Harvey Weinstein or someone. Okay, that's not good. And I thought, I don't know what this is. And then I was walking down a street one day and I thought, I can't smell a damn thing. And, and you start to panic because by then people had just started to talk about this as a, a symptom. And I started sniffing flowers, nothing. And you get more and more desperate. I started sniffing in, in garbage cans. And then, you know, you want to sniff strangers' armpits because you just can't smell anything. Grant says he and his wife have since taken antibody tests, which have come back positive. He estimates that they contracted COVID very early on in the pandemic, back in February. So Casey, hearing Grant talk about this reminded me of my own experiences at the same time with COVID-19. And I didn't lose my smell when I went through it in March, uh, but a dear friend of mine who lived down the street from me in New York, she did, and she would wake up every morning and smell a pickle jar for like two weeks. And the day that she could smell the pickle, she called me crying so excited (laughs) (laughs) wait i did okay so i do have questions for your friend and i want you to report back about it because i watched this tiktok about someone who did have covid and they had lost their sense of smell then eventually their sense of smell came back but everything smelled just rancid to them oh and everyone was wondering like is it because like it's been this reset and now like you were used to the toxicity of the air of of our world because of pollution and now you can really like smell it i don't know that is also could just be a wild tiktok thing i am not a scientist or doctor you know we'll let some doctors write in and let us know what we're talking about but uh, my friend uh says that pickles still smell like pickles for her so okay okay that that is good for me okay i am not done talking about hugh grant because i just remembered this when we talked about we're on on the show hugh grant was talking about he would only do like a notting hill or rom-com like reboot if it had like a tragic ending because that's how love ends and stuff. And I assumed he was single. And now I know he has a wife. He's a full I'm like, wife. Oh my God. He's a full <laughs> wife. And he's like very famously in like very high profile relationships constantly, like Elizabeth Hurley and so on and so forth. So um, that's funny, Hugh. Um, okay. So moving on. 
Whether you love Emily in Paris or just love to hate watch it, I have some good news for you. Our girl will be back for a second season. Netflix made the announcement in a cheeky video on Twitter this morning. Yeah. In case you can't tell, that's a montage of the cast saying, duh, you know, French for two. Very clever. Netflix also provided a little clarity on how we should be pronouncing the show's name in a second tweet, writing, quote, friendly reminder, Emily in Paris is supposed to be pronounced with a French accent, so Emily and Paris rhyme. I am obsessed. (laughs) Emily and Paris? I love... I I will not be saying that. Just because they told me I have to means I'm not going to. I'm totally going to say it forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> um, so wait, what are your thoughts on Emily in Paris as a show and cultural phenomenon? My my thoughts are just like, it's a show that's very much like stuck in 2005 and the tropes are like wild and Emily is not my favorite character. I quit after three episodes, but I know you love it. I love it because I started the show be, uh, because I heard that she's from Chicago. I lived in Chicago for a mm-hmm. long time, so I love any show that begins in Chicago. But also I knew it was going to be bad. And when you enter the show knowing it's going to be bad, it is so good. So that's just my <laughs> advice. Like begin it being like, this is not going to be like good television. Um, I am super excited, though, for the second season just to see the outfit she wears, because I actually read a post on BuzzFeed that was basically like, would you wear these 31 outfits that Emily wore in Paris? And it was so fun just saying like, yes, hell no. She goes from having the most fabulous outfits to this outfit that like a horrible outfit that Carrie would have worn on Sex in the City, you know? I love I mean, Darren Starr is involved in both of these. Right. and And so I think that Darren was like, let's just really try to make this carry but like walmart version maybe or something and <laughs> and darren was successful here like very successful like this is very much like the walmart version of sex in the city so. <laughs> exactly all right when we come back we're talking all about the queen's gambit stay right there Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. Welcome back. 
With all the stress and anxiety of the news cycle, a lot of us are finding an escape in the world of competitive chess. I'm talking about the Netflix miniseries, The Queen's Gambit. Tell the readers of life how it feels and to be a girl among all those men. I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be beautiful. We're joined today by BuzzFeed News' Elamine Abdul-Mahmoud, and he absolutely loved it. I have some thoughts on it, but we'll get to that later. Good afternoon, (laughs) Elamine. Hi, how are you? Great. So The Queen's Gambit is about this young woman who is a chess prodigy. Why are people so into this show right now? I mean, the easiest way to answer that is because it's just really fucking good. Like, <laughs> it's it's beautifully shot. You know, shot for shot is just gorgeous. The acting is amazing. The feel is just like this world that you want to disappear to. It's so delicious to watch. Like, there's so much, like, fun fashion. There's so much fun staging of, like, what, what the 60s would have looked like. Um, it is It is, like, genuinely a feast for the eyes. And then on top of that... Like, they're just, like, a lot of really familiar tropes that you just are, like, are lulled by, you know? Um, when you see, like, there's this, like, this, like, wise mentor old man who's, he's the <laughs> one who's teaching her how to play chess. Or, you know, um, she's an orphan. And so, like, you get to see, like, the trajectory of, like, this orphan kind of, like, come up in the world. And, like, we're familiar with those. Like, those are fairy tales that you grew up with. And so it's just, it's just kind of joyful um, and comforting to watch. I'm, I'm going to watch it again this weekend, I swear to God. Oh, Amazing. I am. Uh, So this has kind of been a slow burning success, right? You know, it's been out for a few weeks, but all of a sudden we're all talking about it. Does it have anything to do with, you know, what's going on in the world, needing an escape, et cetera? Casey, can we just talk for a minute about the fact that you said slow burning success a few weeks? Like, bruh. (laughs) (laughs) I know that in 2020 time moves slow, but like, come on. No, I think, I think there's something real about like, just like the word of mouth power that this show has, um, to the point where like, when I started hearing about it, it was in the middle of the election week. And like, I actually think that's crazy. Like you have this wild election you have people who are being like, this election was stolen. You have other people who are like, oh my God, we're finally getting rid of Donald Trump. And like in the middle of all of that, the fact that this show is a show that registers with people enough that you're like, I know we're all tweeting about the apocalypse, but can I just take a minute to tweet about the show? Like that's pretty remarkable to me. And so, um, yes, a slow burning success of a couple of weeks for sure. So, Elamine, something that really seems to be grabbing people's attention is the costuming, which you mentioned a bit. And period dramas typically do knock that out of the park, but there's a hidden message in this one, right? Oh my God. So like, there's this sort of constant recurring theme of what looks like a chessboard. You're like, wait a minute, is she wearing a jacket or a chessboard? And like, it's just kind of like enjoyable to have that motif keep recurring from time, you know, time and time again. Um, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but at the very end, um, you just see this outfit that a lot of people are raving about. And the reason they're, they're raving about it is that it's also like chess referential. And I'm trying again, not to spoil anything. Cause it's just like such a fun ride, but that outfit is worth it alone. I mean, my God. (laughs) (laughs) There's kind of an interesting backstory here as well. This could have come together quite a few years ago with a very different star and a very different director. Can you tell us a bit about what that version would have looked like? For sure. So, like, the show is based on a novel that was published in 1983. And 
it's not a very long novel. Most people who've read it, I haven't read it, but most people who've read it have been like, you know, honestly, it took me like a couple hours to get through it. Like it's pretty tiny and pretty internal. But there's something about this internal journey of, of this character, of Beth Harmon, that has kind of just like grabbed the attention of a bunch of people who want to try to make um, a show out of it. So there have been attempts to make a movie out of it in the early 90s, again, in the middle, in the mid 2000s. Um, the last person to try was actually Heath Ledger. And I got pretty far. Like Heath Ledger was a few months away from starting production on this thing, starting to like actually do photography on it. Ellen Page was supposed to star in that. Um, and that, so that was, yeah, that was supposed to go down in 2008. Um, and, but Heath Ledger sadly died um, in, in January 2008. So it never came to pass. And it just kind of, you know, it just kind of sat until someone else came along. In this case, Scott Frank came along um, and picked up the intellectual property and said, no, 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 I love this and I want to make something out of it. Got it, got it. Well, in Scott Frank's version, you know, there are some really standout performances here, especially from star Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy. But you also call out one cast member as a scene stealer. Who's that? That's Moses Ingram, who I think we are we are not done hearing from this this young woman. Um, she's amazing. She's a young black actress who just graduated Yale like a year ago, I think I read somewhere. And since that graduation, this is her first big role. And honestly, watching her, you just be like, you've been acting your whole life. Like it, she's just so such a natural at it. She has so much charisma when she bursts on the scene. You see her quite early on in the show, and she's one of the characters who has to do quite a bit of sort of age um, trans transformation in the show. Not everybody has to do that, um, but she does. And uh, the way that she transitions in, in between those things, um, she's just a beautifully, beautifully acted um, performance there. The series is really shining a light on sexism in the world of chess, which, to be honest, is actually probably worse in real life, considering men and women can't actually compete against each other. But, mm-hmm. you know, personally, after watching the whole series, you know, I took issue with the fact that this is another story about a woman written by men. You know, to me, there was something glaringly missing in the way women were written on the show. I have to say, I loved the show in the way you're talking about, like visually amazing. Anya Taylor-Joy is amazing. I want to protect Beth Harmon with everything (laughs) I've got in me, you know, like it was great. But I think what happened was I wanted more. I wanted more about Beth. I wanted more about her mother struggling with mental illness. I wanted to hear these, see these female stories. And also you're talking, um, you're talking about Moses Ingram, who played Jolene. And I wanted more from her, too. She did get relegated to the uh, cliche side black character in this show. And as you're saying, her acting so amazing. So did you feel all of that in the show, too? I did. But honestly, like the limitations on other characters kind of worked for me in the sense that like the show was so focused on Beth's point of view. And then she was kind of represented as this character who like she has a lot of silences with other characters. She doesn't really know how to start conversations with them. It takes her a lot of time to get to you know a place where she's comfortable. She has this like Anya Taylor-Joy played this like really brilliant little vocal tick where she, um, Beth Harmon has to clear her throat every time that she talks to another character because she's like, I just don't know how to start conversations with others. Like that was kind of amazing to me. And so the singular focus on her point of view um, when it comes to everything made me kind of okay with the fact that we weren't getting more. Like, yeah, of course I want more of Alma, the stepmother. I'm like, you have a fascinating story. Please spend several episodes on this. Same deal um, with the Jolene character. I was like, no, no, no. We Jolene deserves her own spinoff after this. But the show and the way that Beth relates to other people was just like so grounded around Beth and her perspective that it didn't feel off to me. And I, I do have to like 
shout out the fact that they attempted at least to make Jolene escape the magical Negro sort of uh, trajectory, you know? So like there's this trope that happens often where a character of color is in, in shows, but only there to help the hero sort of achieve their end. Um, and certainly that is a part of Jolene's arc, but you see her push back against that narrative a couple of times, you know, you see her go like, no, 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 I'm doing this out of my own agency. I'm doing this. This is my own choice. She's given um, a purpose. She's being, she's sort of situated where a young black woman would be in the late 1960s in the middle of the civil rights movement. Um, she's, she's sort of connected to that too. So like, that's interesting, like at least attempting to do that. I don't know if they completely did it, but I think there's grace in the attempt um, in at least yeah. to redeem the show, you know? Yeah, I think so too. I am hopeful that there will be a second season, mostly for the fact that like, you know, this could be seen as just a mini series of seeing this one great story. But mm-hmm. you know what? It is Netflix. They do like a second season. Um, they do. And we'll see if we get that. I would just absolutely love if they brought some women on to write for Beth, because I think that in a second season, we could take the time to really explore her traumas, which are surface level because we spend so much of a magnificent time on, on like her chess abilities. On the chess. Yeah. One interesting dynamic that, uh, that we saw is that like, so Mari Heller, the woman who plays Alma in that show is herself a director in her own right. You know, she's directed, um, Diary of a Teenage Girl. She's directed, uh, the, uh, the Mr. Rogers movie. Um, so, and she's amazing. And like, I was listening to an interview that, that Mari Heller did, um, with Jodie Foster and Scott Frank. Um, and listening to them talk, it sounded like there were a lot of onset conversations, a lot of mm. Scott Frank saying, oh, Mari, Mari has some directorial notes, you know, <laughs> um, which, which sounds, first of all, amazing. But second of all, like, yeah, I'd be curious to see, like, what direction um, someone like Amari Heller would take uh, mm. that show. Um, just to build out those characters a little bit more, because it did, like, part of the appeal of the show is just, like, how, how fast it all went by. You're just like, okay, we're going to get to this chess place. We're going to go to Mexico City. We're going to go to Paris. We're going to go to <laughs> Moscow. And like, typically in a second season, you would slow all of those dynamics mm-hmm. down. You'd be like, okay, let's just sit in this one relationship for a real long time. I don't know if we're going to get that. Like, it just kind of felt to me like this sort of resolution that's like, we don't need to do this anymore. You know, it felt like a tidy package. Of course, I want to live in that world. I would love to live more in that world, but I, I can't imagine they're going to do another one. Okay. Also, one last thing. <laughs> Because I'm so embarrassed by this. Yes, uh, please. I watched the entire series and I still don't know how to play chess. I was like, wow. that's not embarrassing. That's not I embarrassing. Like, I mean, she also was so good. At, she's so good at chess. Like she's the best in the world that like, yeah. they're not, this isn't beginner's level. I'm watching and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, you <laughs> lost me on the third move. <laughs> well, that's like, when you watch like a basketball movie, like I know how to assess how someone is good at basketball. I'm like, they're, yeah. you know, they're good at this. Like visually, they're just getting past other people and they're making the shot. But if in chess, like it can be a little bit hard to digest, but like there's been, I've heard interviews with like a couple of chess champions who are like, look, the chess in this series checks out. Like those are really difficult chess boards to solve. And like then they and then they ended up solving them. And like they had a few chess champions um as consultants on the show. So like they did their homework. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so glad they had chess consultants on the show, but they need more women, as I'm yes. gonna say. <laughs> yes. Just to agree with Casey there. But Elabine, thank you so much. We have to leave it there for today. But we'll have you back for season two when that gets started. <laughs> I can't wait. Thanks, pals. Okay, we have time for one more thing. And you know, this year has been a wild one. We've had a pandemic. 
We've had a never-ending election, and we also had to throw daylight savings time on top of it all. And to be honest, I bet we all feel like this poor puppy that we're going to talk about named Potato who just wants to go outside and play. For context, it's 4.30 in the morning, and this cute little dog thinks it's 5.30 in the morning, and he has this little button he can press that basically alerts everyone around him that it's time to go outside, and boy, does he want to use it. Potato, it's not 5.30 yet. I know you're confused. I know daylight saving sucks, but we gotta wait another hour. There's no dogs there yet. But no one's at the park yet, Potato. Everyone comes at 5.30. I'm sorry. That is, for those of you that obviously can't see this because this is a podcast this dog is just waiting in such anticipation to go play with his friends and we all relate because this i feel like this daylight saving has been harder than any others before and i don't know why i know he just wants he just wants to go outside and i get it daylight savings time has has really fucked me up <laughs> <laughs> I got home last night, so I left and I had to run an errand and I got back and I didn't realize it was 510 and it was so dark and I got so sad and I, I'm usually pretty good with these things. But yesterday, Casey, you and I talked about this, this like, the, what, what do we do after it gets dark at five? Because it feels like your day's over, but it really isn't. And last night I just sat on my couch and was like, I do have work to do, but I don't want to do anything. <laughs> no, because it's dark outside. And I literally like, I'll be like, okay, it's time for dinner. I've eaten dinner i've watched some tv i'm really tired and i go oh i guess it's time for bed and then i look and it's 7 30 7 30 but and, and what sucks is that you you become like potato you go to bed early and then you wake up at 4 30 in the morning like you want to go do something but nothing is open so it's just perpetual pain everything's just super confusing and i think daylight saving should have taken the year 2020 into consideration and maybe been like you know what nah let's just not do it this year because I honestly still, and someone correct me on Twitter later, I don't know why we do daylight savings. I really just still don't understand. No, you know, Hawaii doesn't do it. And they're just chilling, having a great time. So I think maybe that's stop. <laughs> it's a, so you're saying Utopia doesn't do it. Wow. Okay. This makes sense now. Yeah. We're I'm canceling this next year. Sorry. Writing to the president. <laughs> All right, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for a chat with Daphne Maxwell Reed about the highly anticipated Fresh Prince of Bel Air reunion. And remember, not everything that's from Chicago has to be great. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. I haven't really woken up oh, until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. It's time to gear up for the NFL postseason. Yes, sir! 
head over to NFLshop.com today for the largest assortment of officially licensed gear. I need it! NFL Shop is your destination for jerseys, t-shirts, headwear, and more. Oh, you're sweet with it! Come back after the game for the best selection of NFL gear anywhere. How you like that, baby? Rep your team pride with styles fit for the whole family. To shop now, go to NFLshop.com. The NFL Podcast Network is your home for all things football. Do you love hearing analysis around the league with a touch of mirth? Or maybe you enjoy breaking down X's and O's in the college scouting scene. Do you breathe, sleep, and eat fantasy football? Perhaps you love the funny headlines that emerge each week. What if you want in-depth news coverage with reporters? Or what if you want to know exactly how each team got its name? Well, you're in luck because the NFL Podcast Network has a show for everybody. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.